Good morning, everyone. So we're starting a new series, looking at the characteristics and the qualities of the community of God. And this morning we're starting with the first one, which is on holiness. And I think that passage that June just rang, read, it's just got some quite difficult concepts in it. Come out from amongst them. What does that mean? What does it mean to purify ourselves? What does it mean not to have anything to do with unbelievers? So today we're going to look at what it means to be holy, what God means by what it is to be holy. And when I say that word, holy, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Clean? Pure. What did you say? Holes in cheese. <laughs> Swiss cheese. <laughs> I mean, you could think of an angel. Angels are often depicted in pictures and icons with a halo that goes around their head, like this glow that's coming out from amongst them. And I think the idea possibly comes from Moses, because when he went up to the mountain to be with the Lord and receive the Ten Commandments, when he came back down, his face was glowing. And so maybe that's where the idea of a halo comes from. But I don't see too many people walking around today with a halo around their head. And I think a lot of people think that the Dalai Lama or Buddhist monks are holy because, well, they dress in a different way, they're very distinct in their lifestyle, they lead a very simple lifestyle, they talk about peace. And I think a lot of the world thinks that being good and leading a simple life is holiness. And I think that one time we all believed that priests and nuns were holy. They were set aside, they live in monasteries, they gave up their life to be to in service for the Lord. But of course the recent events in the church with the terrible abuse that's gone on by some priests and some nuns, not all, I think it's really rocked our faith in the church and, and particularly priests and nuns because we look up to them, we think of them as being God's servants, we think of them as being godly. And so I think, you know, I certainly feel betrayed a lot by the fact that this has come out in the church. And I wonder, you know, what does God think? What does God think when his church is so unholy? We can't get away from the fact that as Christians, we are here to represent God on earth. And everyone you meet, anyone you encounter, whether you're at the supermarket or it's friends or your families, they're all judging us. They're all looking at us and deciding on whether or not Christianity is something they want to believe in. Because we are God's representatives. And I think sometimes they can be very harsh judges. Of course, we don't want to behave or please other people. That's not what we're here to do. But we are here to please God. And we are here to help and encourage one another to act and behave in ways that are going to be godly, that are going to give glory to God. So in the passage that we read today, Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth. And in the same way, Peter in his first letter writes to believers who are in exile in Asia Minor, and he says to them, Be holy, 
because your God is holy. So this is a message for believers. This is not a message for anybody outside the church. This is Paul and Peter talking to us directly today. He's saying, so they're saying to us, be holy because God is holy. So we need to understand what holiness means. Not a worldly understanding, but a godly understanding of what it means to be holy for the Lord. So let's start with God, because I think we all agree that he's holy. And there are many verses in the Bible that talk about the holiness of God. In Isaiah 6.3, the prophet is having a vision of God in the throne room. And there are all these angels surrounding him and they're calling out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And John the disciple, he had a similar vision when he was on Patmos and he had the revelation. In Revelation 4, 8, he says, and he's looking at the throne room again. And God is seated there in the throne and there are four living creatures and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The vision that Isaiah saw and the vision that John saw show us that God is holy, he's majestic, he's awesome, he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And God's holiness is eternal. It's part of his character. And the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. And it's used many times to describe God. But it's also used to describe the Israelites, to describe certain places, certain things that was purposely set aside for God's purposes. And Kadosh, when it's used to speak of people and things, it has a sense of being separated out. A bit like you might separate cream from milk, that this part is separated out for a special purpose for God. In the New Testament, the Greek word for holy is hagios, and it means sacred or different something that is distinct from others. So it has that same sense of being separated out. So just as the temple in the Old Testament was a separate place for God to dwell, and just as the Sabbath was a day set aside for worship, so we as Christians are called to be God's dwelling place as an act of worship to God. So when we think about the holiness of God, we see that he's separate from human frailties. He has no sin in him. He's perfect, he's pure, he's uncontaminated. He's wholesome, he's whole. And we can think of water when it is completely pure, when it has no other elements in it. It's pure and fresh and clean. Or we can think of gold. In the raw, it's like a seam that runs through the rocks. But through the purifying process, all the rocks are removed, all the impurities are removed, and you're left with just the pure gold nugget because it has no other elements in it. It's just pure gold. And God is like that. God is pure. He's uncontaminated. 
And it, it's every aspect of his being, every part of his character. So his love is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His judgment is holy. His justice is holy. Every part of God is holy. And so, because our God is holy, we are called to be holy. But how can we be? We all know that we're sinners. We all know that we need a saviour. We all know that we fall short of the glory of God. And we might try and try to lead a good life and, and think good thoughts and do good deeds, but we know deep inside that we can't measure up to God. There's no way we can be that pure. So how can we possibly be like God? How can we possibly fulfil this scripture that says, be holy like God is holy, when we know what we're like? In the reading, Paul is quoting from Leviticus. And Leviticus is about God establishing his people, the Israelites, to be a light to the nations. Now before this, the Israelites, they were subject to the Egyptians. They were slaves. They really had no control over their lives. They were used to being told what to do and they were mistreated. But when God called them out of Egypt to the promised land, he had to form them into a new people. He had to help them to become an ordered society, to understand how to govern themselves, to understand how to be a people who could be a light to the nation. So they were used to being slaves. They had a slave mentality. And God had to form them and change them to become a people who could be like him. And so in Leviticus, God is laying out all of the things that he wants them to do in order to start to be a people, a nation who could be a light to him, to reflect his glory. And I don't know how many of you have read Leviticus, but if you have and you just read it straight, it's quite a hard book to read because it has lots of rules and regulations and some of the rituals that are in there seem quite foreign to us. But when you really study it and you look behind everything that's happening in Leviticus, you see that it's really telling the people of God how to be fair, how to be just, how to listen for mercy, how to offer grace. It's actually showing how to offer the characteristics of God to people around them. And God also had to teach the Israelites how to be pure. And that was all about confessing their sins. And they had a whole system of rituals for every type of sin. They had some grain offerings, they had dove offerings, they had lamb offerings, they had goat offerings. And it all culminated in the Day of Atonement, when everybody, the whole of the community, would confess their sins. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice a goat. And so the whole community was holy, pure, because God had this system that they could confess their sins and receive forgiveness. And that system of confession allowed God to continue to dwell in their midst. And the same applies to us today. We are called out of darkness. We're called out of slavery to ourselves, out of slavery to the world, and we're brought into the light, the light of Jesus Christ. 
And we are new creations when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And we are called then to reflect the glory of God. We can only do it by that relationship with Jesus. That's the only way we can be pure. Our position in Christ automatically sets us apart from the world because we have a relationship with the living God. Still, we must walk it out. We must be obedient to God. And so we need to avoid things that we know are unholy. Things like sexual immorality, pornography, drunkenness, lying, stealing, coveting, rebellion against God, and filling our heads with ideas and images that we know are ungodly. These are all things that we should purposely try to avoid. And I think we all know those. And it's not that we want to invent a new set of rules because we have freedom in Christ, but it is when we appreciate and, and, and understand the great depth of sacrifice that Jesus has done for us, then we want to be different. We want to satisfy him. We want to please him. It comes from that understanding of what God has done for us that compels us to want to lead a life that gives him glory. There's a good saying in the teaching of ethics and it's a good guide to what we do and how we act. And it's basically that it's best not to do anything that you do not want splashed across a headline of a paper. So you can imagine tomorrow, Kerry sins. If you're at home or you think you're secret, you're doing something that no one else knows about, don't do it unless you're comfortable with the whole world knowing that you're doing it. But of course we also need to look into our hearts because Jesus says that even what we think and what we feel is like acting upon it. And Paul talks about taking every thought captive, meaning that we need to be aware that what we're thinking in our minds and in our hearts can be critical thoughts, it can be negative thoughts, resentment, unforgiveness, rebellion in the form of complaining, and none of these things are holy. None of these patterns of thinking reflect the, the glory of God. So we need to be aware of our thoughts as well, because they can lead us into behaviours that are ungodly. We can only lead a life that glorifies God through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit. But we can adopt an attitude that says, I want to be holy like you, Lord. I want to be holy like you, Lord. That's a prayer that God will answer, no question about it. And as the body of Christ here, we can support one another in this. We can make ourselves accountable to one another, we can ask for prayer if we're struggling with something, and we can encourage one another in our faith. Because now we, we are the temple of God. It's not the building, it's not the old temple, it's us. It's each one of us individually put together 
We are now the dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty. And in Israel, the temple needed to be pure and uncontaminated because that's where God dwelt. And so we, as a group, need to be holy because God dwells in us. It's not that we can ever earn our salvation by being good. We know that. But when we're so grateful for what Jesus has done, when we realise the cost of his death to us, when we realise that we deserve to be cast away, not ushered into the presence of God, then out of that gratitude comes a desire to want to satisfy him. And it doesn't mean that we're, we're never going to mess up. We will. We will make poor decisions. And sometimes we might hold a grudge and sometimes we mightn't forgive. But when we recognise it, God has given us the way to become pure again. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that cleansing is part of making us holy, uncontaminated from sin. So God asks us to be holy and he also provides the way for us to be holy by confessing our sins and being cleansed by him. As a community of God, we need to see that holiness is not just about being good, but that it's being set apart for God like the Hebrew and the Greek words, like that, that part, that greyness that's, that's in those Hebrew and Greek words. It says, you're called out from amongst them. You are set aside for a purpose of God. And you're being set aside and therefore you are holy. So we're set apart not because we're any better than anyone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We're set apart because we believe in Jesus. And being set apart means that God wants to use us for his purposes. So to illustrate this, I've got some cups here from my kitchen. And they're all different shapes and sizes, none of them match. But this one in particular, this was my great-grandmother's. And it's a very special cup. It's got other cups and saucers that go with it and a little plate. I think it has a sugar container and a jug as well. And it was specially made and it was set apart by my great-grandmother only for special occasions. And it was kept in a cabinet so you could see it but you couldn't touch it. And it only came out for birthdays and anniversaries and then it went back into the cabinet again. And, you know, she did a good job, it survived till today. But I think that sometimes that's what we think set apart is. That because this cup is so special, that you put it away, that you, you keep it for only special occasions. And that's not what God means about being set apart. Because he chooses the unlovely. He chooses, you know, people who are not beautiful, not the best, not the greatest. He just chooses us. But it's the act of choosing that makes us set apart. So in these other cups, you know, this one's the biggest. 
This one's got a lovely handle. This one's quite pretty. And these are quite, you know, ordinary. But if I choose this one, this means it's now set apart. This cup is now set apart for my purposes. And it's not because it's the best cup. It's not because it's the biggest cup or the most prettiest. It's just that I've chosen it and I'm now going to use it for my purpose. And I'm going to use it and use it and use it for my purposes. And that's what God does with us. We don't have to be the best. We don't have to be the brightest. We don't have to be the most committed. We're just used by God because he chose us. And that means that it doesn't matter what state you're in. If you're happy or sad, God can use you. If you're older or younger, God can use you. If you're sick or healthy, it doesn't matter. God can use you. I think sometimes we think we have to be perfect for God to use us, but that's not the way that God works. He doesn't pick this one. He picks this one. And by picking this one, we are then set apart. And being set apart, that makes us holy and gives us a responsibility to be holy for God. So being holy is being set apart for God. Being holy is about pleasing God in all we do, in everything that we say and everything that we think. Being holy is recognising that we fall short, that we need to confess our sins to Jesus and accept the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. Being holy is about our ongoing relationship with God and realising that he's set us apart to be holy. He's called us to be holy. And in that calling, we have a responsibility to respond. So, as a community of God in this place, as a church of God, as the body of Christ, let's be holy together. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as people who you have called to be holy. And yet, Lord God, we know that we are not holy. We know that we no way live up to your expectations of holiness. So, Father, we just take this time now to just confess some sins. We ask you just to convict us of anything that we need to confess. We know, Lord, that when we confess our sins, that you forgive us. And so anything you confess now, I declare Jesus has forgiven you and he has removed that as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, we say we want to be holy like you are holy. We want to be set apart for you. We want to reflect your love, your grace, your mercy, your holiness. And in those areas of, our, areas of our lives where we struggle with sin, 
Lord, help us to be overcomers. Give us the strength to resist temptation. Convict us, Lord. Comfort us, Lord. And equip us with the Holy Spirit so that we might glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.